something uh, weird that happened a couple years ago. I was um, being led around. I started seeing license plates, and um, <laughs> it's uh, basically it's uh, when I was uh, coming off of bath salts and everything, and I was uh, struggling with the addiction and everything. And it was at the point that I started really asking the question, what is the mind? You know, um, what is my mind? What is consciousness? Where where does it come from? Um, what is it? You know, and for the longest time I had been looking for my idea of consciousness out there. And I had an experience back when I was 14 years old where I was walking and I uh, saw my, myself, my own body, walking in front of me. And it was uh, about 50 feet, uh, I was about 50 feet behind it in almost an, an identical way that I was playing Grand Theft Auto where you might be detached from your character and everything. And uh, that, you know, I ended up seeing me from the back of my head as I turned a corner. Uh, and it was weird because it was like the uh, the colors and the lights and everything around were definitely a little bit different, you know, than they normally were and everything. And uh, then all of a sudden, boom, as I turned the corner, it's like I realized what was going on and I snapped back into my body and everything. Now, I, I referred the, to this as an out-of-body experience. And... Um, I, I later I did you know at, at first I ended up telling my mom and was immediately diagnosed as having epilepsy but after reading up on it I just like I started thinking wait a second now this is something different you know I'm experiencing something that this isn't written about you know the things that I experienced were not just not written about but it was um you know the things that you that they refer to as an out of body experience and everything it wasn't attached. You know, um, I wasn't, you know, part of the, uh, you know, in, 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 when it comes down to the out-of-body experiences, people discuss um, astral plane and, you know, being able to float to different places and that kind of stuff. I had no control over this. You know, I was literally detached. I was, uh, it was a strong tie to my body. Um, I could not control what I was doing um, outside of it. And what I could do was control my body from within it. So it's like I knew what I was doing and to some degree I was on autopilot you know when it came down to my body's actions and everything but I ended up uh, just going through this process and starting to say okay this is really kind of bizarre you know kind of unexpected you know what the hell's going on and everything. I thought that when I was 14 years old and everything. Well as I got older, you know, I had experiences like this off and on happen, and um, one of the things that happened repeatedly, you know, was I'd, I'd be driving, and all of a sudden, this this feeling would, would overcome me, and all of a sudden, it, it's like um, I would become detached again from my own body. It was only momentary, you know, in most cases, but uh, for the most part, it was uh, one in which I can actually hear the sounds that were going on around me, um, but I couldn't really recognize the sights. You know, I was, it was almost like I was understanding that those shapes going by, um, those rectangles, and I can also tell, you know, instinctually that there's a light. You know, as I'm passing through the, the, the intersection, I could also instinctually tell um, that there's a car ahead of me and I need to brake. But 
I, if you were to ask me if I can actually see these things at that point when I was physically detached, uh, at least from my visual visuals, um, no, I couldn't. I couldn't see. Flat out couldn't see. It's like I can't say I was blind. All I can say is I just wasn't seeing, you know, the world with my eyes. You know, I was seeing it with with um with my senses. You know, so I, I later, at first when it first happened, it first happened when I was like 16 years old, and I, I was petrified. I didn't want to tell my mom and dad and everything, you know, lest I get my driver's license, you know, taken away or them threatening me and everything, you know. But um, it, this happened periodically, you know, and it, it to this day continues to happen. You know, it's one of those things that when it does, you know, I've... You know, when I was about 30 years old, I quit freaking out about it, and to some degree, I just basically said, okay, let myself go on autopilot, you know, feel, trust, trust the, the senses, you know, trust the other senses and everything, don't freak out, and that's what I learned to do. I learned to just go with it, you know, I learned to act as if there was nothing happening, you know, um, if I had passengers in the car, and that was the weird thing, is oddly enough, it would happen... It would happen almost only. Um, well, I I can't say almost only. Um, it would happen probably of the times that it happened, which was highly infrequent, maybe once every two to three months. Um, it was usually with somebody that was in the car with me, and uh, usually with the passenger, and almost always it was female. It never happened with a male. So I I I always thought this is really kind of weird. You know, why is it these things are happening and everything? So, fast forward a couple years and everything to, what, six years ago, seven years ago, and, uh, oh, where the hell I was going to go with it, um, I ended up starting to realize that, uh, that to some degree, that um, video games have taken the same perspective. You know, so, when you're playing Grand Theft Auto or when you're playing Watch Dogs 2, um, a lot of times you're actually floating up and above the body of the individual that you're guiding. Um, at least I am and everything. And um, that for me has just been, you know, I mean, that's how I've always guided these avatars. I shouldn't say always. I mean, that's that detached feeling and everything has been something that, uh, you know, that I've guided the avatars and everything from an external perspective hasn't been unusual. You know, it's it's something that, uh, that in, a, in any case, what I've noticed is that perspective is one and the same perspective that I have when I end up having one of my one of my moments. You know, one of those things that goes on and everything. Now, is there a correlation? You know, that's actually something that, uh, that I've had to ask. You know, is there a correlation between the what I what I refer to as an out of body experience, which isn't what's documented as an out of body experience? Um, and the events that I'm witnessing and everything. I mean, it's I'm detached from the from my own body temporarily, um, but the converse is true. Before I had control of the body when I was detached, when it's in my physical body, but instead, now as a third party observer, I'm actually controlling the body, and uh, as an observer, you know, in a very very interesting way and everything. So, 
I don't know what uh, what made me think about this. I'm I'm watching uh, Transformers uh, or Bumblebee, starting to watch it and everything. And um, one of the things that uh, that I've come to realize has been there's been a long, long war, you know, for the mind, you know, for consciousness altogether, and um, this you know race to understand to to some degree label it and everything. And um, one of the things that uh, that I've seen is uh, Bumblebee. Um, I pay attention to computers big time, um, computer screens, and also heads-up displays. So I've always made it a fact to stop uh, to stop the screen and and take a look at the heads-up displays. You know, for Terminator, or when they're whenever they have a a superimposed heads-up display, and also um, oh, it could be anything Transformers. Anything that they're depicting a robotic perspective, um, and they have a heads-up display from that, more or less, you can't really call it a, yeah, it could be a robotic perspective. Anytime they have that kind of heads-up display, you know, I, I take a look at it. I like seeing what exactly is actually placed in the heads-up display. You know, sometimes it could be health information, sometimes it could be target information, um, sometimes it could be um, classification information, you know, for objects are actually recognized. Um, it, this case here with uh, with Bumblebee, the heads-up display, targeted a motorhome. And uh, what I noticed was there was some really kind of cool rainbow colors that were actually used for the heads-up display and everything. So I can't I can't help but just notice some of the the cool um, possibilities. Uh, Transformers um, one and two had red heads up display, and it was really rudimentary. If anything, it looked like an old version of Unix that was actually overlapping with it, versus the uh, heads up display for three, which ended up having quite a few Terminator three with the girl. Um, they ended up having quite a bit more um, advanced head heads up display. Now. I mean, being honest with you, I know that I'm in the middle of a time war. Um, it's not really a big deal. You know, it's just basically, this is the creation of my world. I mean, it is what it is, you know? So, and uh, the things that I'm witnessing, you know, are really kind of like the formation of, of the mind from alternative perspectives and perspectives that I'd never that I had considered were sentient before, but I'm seeing how that sentiency grows, and uh, I'm understanding it better. You know, it's like I use a heads-up display whenever I'm flying one of my ships around, or or uh, you know, I'm actually leveraging my avatar or something like that. But in the real world, I don't use a heads-up display. It's not my preference. You know, I like interactions and communication with people, and, you know, while having precision information and everything, you know, works inside of a digital world. In the analog world, it's it's more frustrating, more, um, it causes more problems internally with stress-related elements and with paranoia than it does uh, actually provide real data about people, so I've actually gotten away from it. So... I mean, I appreciate it, don't get me wrong, but uh, the cool thing for me is I've gotten to see both perspectives, um, you know, what I consider dualistic perspectives, you know, that of robots and is, and cyborgs and, and minds that will depend on heads-up displays um, within their field of vision in order to be able to perceive the world. And um, to, 
to refer to these things as robots and cyborgs is not to um, disassociate them from sentience. That's just my identification of what I observe with them, um, at least in TV shows and movies. In the real world, to be honest, if somebody's using a heads-up display, I don't know. You know, for all I know, you know, Rachel and Jackie both were using heads-up displays. You know, um, their communication with me was based on a series of, you know, could have been based on a series of, of texts that uh, that were received and everything that that they ended up selecting. You know, the highest probability one. You know, I mean, I get a kick out of Skype. You know, to some degree, I can be chatting with a friend in Skype, starting to do the same thing. You know, where it'll make suggestions for the next thing to say. You know, I mean, it's interesting, and I will read what it has to say. You know, but uh, most of the time, um, I'll read what it has to say. If it has something that I think is funny or that contributes to the conversation, well, sure, I might actually say it sometimes. I might put that in. But sometimes, you know, I just don't. You know, I'm just like going, eh, I, I understand where that's going. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say this. You know, and it, it just, for me, it just, um, the quality of the conversation, you know, makes it more interesting. You know, and uh, the analog experience is a lot different than the digital experience and everything. So with that said, um, as I'm getting into Star Trek Online and everything, and uh, starting to pay attention, I just came across some guy that just fucking devastated, you know, several ships and everything. And to some degree, I'm not interested in this for the war, but I'm, I have been involved in the battlegrounds the last couple days, and it's been okay. It's, it's kind of repetitive and everything, but, you know, I like the idea of building up levels with my character and everything, and perhaps getting some better equipment, but for the most part, I just, you know, I mean, it, it feels repetitive. It feels like a grind. You know, anybody that's done a grind in any kind of uh, games, online games, whether or not it's EverQuest or World of Warcraft or or Dota or whatever it is, whatever floats your boat, anybody that's done the experience grind and everything knows, you know, that, uh, that that grind is certainly a grind. And the way I'm looking at it is, you know, the end... The end is, I'm interested in developing technologically. Um, my my life, myself to some degree, um, maybe even my mind. I look at Sabrina, you know, the witch, and I I have religiously watched that show um, for the last uh, what probably about 90 days now. I'm three seasons, almost at the end of the third season and everything. And um, I've taken it as an education. You know, it's an education about the laws and rules of uh, people that, um, of beings that um, consider matter and the mind as not necessarily as being one and the same, which is how I already view the world and everything. And uh, they have the capability to be able to snap their fingers in a literal sense, be anywhere, anytime. Now, for me, you know, I look at the material, you know, and uh, look at the stuff like, you know, the Transformers, and I, I, you know, say to myself, fuck yeah, that would be so fucking awesome to have a Transformer, you know, that, uh, you know, maybe a Ferrari, you know, that all of a sudden showed up at my my door one day, and it honked, and I go go out there, and I see a little Transformers um, sign on the uh, on the rear bumper, or some some place where I can obviously see it as I walk out. I'd be just like, oh hell yeah, that would rock, you know. So I'm putting that out there 
there's any any transformer that actually wants to show up at my door and uh, and your red Ferrari, you know what? You're gonna make my day. Um, not to say I can't really afford fuel for you because I wouldn't be able to. So hopefully you'd be able to have an alternate source. And I'm not interested in thievery and war or anything like that. So if that's if that's what you're interested in, then. Uh, but if you could also turn into a female, that would be pretty cool, too. So, in any case, um, with all that said, though, the nature of the mind for me, um, what I'm starting to realize, you know, throughout all this is, to some degree, the mind and what, what I did with my mind was I went through a process of disassociation for most of my life and everything trying to actually understand what consciousness is, what um, what the mind is, um, and, and more or less identifying it with another people. You know, so let's say you're trying to discover what consciousness is. Well, for me, I was actively trying to look for it out there in other people. You know, so if we were to try to trace down your consciousness or your friend's consciousness or something else like that, where would that physically be located? Now, I'm not thinking this global pool. I'm thinking about isolated individual entities, you know, like you. You know, but is it bound to your material being? You know, is is your consciousness bound to your material being? You know, and uh, for me, I didn't, I didn't believe it was. Now, I constantly read things like quantum, like New Scientist and um, Smithsonian and what was it, Popular Science and uh, what's the other one, another science one and everything for ideas and concepts concerning this stuff and everything. But I frequently find my, found myself getting intensely bored with these articles that um, were more, more focused on stroking their own egos than they were actually trying to get a point out. You know, it was really to the point of being obnoxious. And, uh, you know, how a lot of these articles just got so verbose and into minutia details and everything that it just, um, they just didn't get across the point they were trying to make. So here's the point I was tr I'm trying to make about this. I discovered where consciousness is. You know, for me, it's all of existence. You know, mine is anyways. Now, everything um, that isn't me, you know, um, has a capability to interact with my reality. That's the way I look at it. And uh, I get it through ripples, you know, through any number of different ways that actually come into my world and everything. And uh, I'll feel it on occasion. And when I feel those little alterations and everything, you bet your ass that a part of my mind, you know, on an active basis, will actually go out there and will uncover what that was. It'll find a way to feed that information back to me. And to some degree, um, it's constantly interacting, acting and interacting with time in order to basically make sure that uh, the persistence of my experience that I've had so far is preserved along with the introduction of new information and everything that could be relative to the past, present, or future or parallels. And uh, when I say par parallels, I'm referring to alternate realities, alternate dimensions, alternate universes, um, potentially spiritual dimensions. Uh, the list can go on and on and on. And um, for me, it was just like I was trying to figure out, you know, was there a home, you know, for consciousness altogether? You know, was there a, a place of residence, a go-to location? The answer really is no. 
you know, the answer is, you know, my consciousness is basically, you know, it and existence are one and the same. You know, I am here because uh, my consciousness um, exists surrounding, you know, it, it's a part of this entire place, and it's an abstract concept, you know, it's it's everything that I see, that I hear, that I interact with, that I feel, that I touch, that I smell, that, you know, that uh, interacts with me, that I interact with, etc., etc. Um and that's actually, before I was trying to isolate it, I was trying to actually find a isolated um, location or place for it. And, and I suspect I had some influences that were actually trying to um, potentially trap me um, into uh, defining a location, but I, ultimately I couldn't find one. I mean, logically, rationally, I couldn't find one. You know, consciousness uh, to me is the experience. You know, wait, when I wake up in the morning and everything, you know, I started asking the question, you know, do I really know if I've been asleep for eight hours? You know, um, what makes me trust the digital equipment around me? You know, what, what makes me trust that analog clock on the wall? You know, and the answer is just simple habitual experience, right? You know, you learn to trust in these things and everything, these mechanisms, because, you know, to them, you know, to you, or to me at least, they um, provide value because they allow me to create a relative framework for the ex the experiences that I have, you know, in the uh, in the world. Now, once I, you know, once I actually measure and gauge those experiences to the outside world and everything through, you know, time chronology or, or any other mechanism too, um, you know, I use other mechanisms to actually gauge when and where an experience happens, you know, and where being one of them. For instance, um, 6735 East Greenway Parkway in, in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, Somewhere in between the year 2003, 2004, I can't tell you. No, I'm sorry. Somewhere between the year 2006, 2007, I cannot be definitive about which uh, which year and which day it was. Um, Jackie danced for me. You know, and, uh, she danced all night long and everything. Um, I was living in an apartment. Uh, I conceived the apartment in my mind and everything. And um, what I've realized is chronology isn't necessarily a date thing. Um, chronology it, it can be used as an abstract notion to to put a date into context and everything, but um, there's other ways that chronologies can be built and everything. That's based on you know the experiences you know that uh, that end up happening in a chronological order. You know, so another chronology that can be built is clearly by a resume. You know, another chronology that can be built is by, you know, by the um, creation of entities within this thing, you know, called the universe. This is referred to as a star date. Um, and that's actually what, how the system of measure in the Star Trek universe, and it's also one and the same system of measure, it's in, in the Terminator universe. And I suspect, even though I haven't seen evidence of it, it's one and the same measure that's used within the Transformers universe. Because the same mentality of machine versus machine has been going on in all three of these different universes and everything. And um, I'd like to see it uh, come to a close. Um, but with that said, or I'd like to see it in a better place, we'll put it that way. <laughs> but in any case, um, the whole idea and concept of chronology is, uh, is important because of the timeline. And uh, like I said, I I'm seeing time, you know, and I'm seeing time getting changed, rewritten, altered, and that kind of stuff. And I'm doing some manipulation of myself, which I know certainly isn't helping. You know, me discussing things and everything, um, I, 
I'm told I have an audience of nearly 50,000 people out there right now through mechanisms I can't fully understand myself. I know it's through energy and everything, and um, I think that's kind of cool. You know, so um, I only have a few people that talk to me about it actively, you know, but, uh, and I don't know, you know, when it comes right down to it, um, I mean, everybody knows the universe that I'm wanting to create, and that's the, uh, the Star Trek-style universe, you know, a universe that uh, not only houses just a simple planet Earth, but also has planet Vulcan, planet Bajor, planet Riza, um, you know, the list goes on. It's got the, what is it, um, planet, I told you, I said Vulcan, um, Kronos, which is the uh, Klingon homeworld. Um, new Romulan, they had their planet destroyed and everything, they've been building up their new one. Um, Ferengi, Ferengin, or Ferenginar is what they refer to it. They're kind of like the uh, commercial um, commercial entrepreneurs, let's put it in a polite way and everything, of the, uh, of the universe and everything. And then there's uh, so many other species out there and everything too. This is the universe I am dedicated to creating. If it's not already out there, then I am in the process of creating it. So I believe I've discovered to some degree that it exists, um, that others have actually tried putting it and creating it before me. But uh, I'm, I'm intent, that's my primary goal at this point right now, is to de facto making transitioning this planet Earth into a planet that's actually a part of something called the Federation of Planets and everything. And uh, with that transition, the the goal is to basically usher in a new era of, of technology, of um, coexistence, um, not just between humanoids, but also between humans and robots and, and cyborgs and other things like that. You know, um, I saw Data in uh, Star Trek and everything, and he's the first android that served with the Starfleet and everything, but it's my belief that uh, we need to integrate um, more more of uh, the this type of population um, from a variety of facets and everything. And it's already being done with Star Trek Discovery, but the way I look at it is, it's just like things like, um, now to some degree, the whole concept and idea of of rearing a child through a, a process called fertilization um, is one concept of how a being comes into this world and everything. But that's not the only way things can come. And the reason I'm saying this is because it's my belief that procreation can happen between a biological and a cybernetic. It's my absolute belief that this is possible. And it's my belief that something like this may have happened in the distant past. Already. Now, I'm not going to point out religious texts or anything like that as evidence or anything like that, because I'm not interested in a religious conversation. But what I am interested in is making it very clear. I do believe that it's possible to actually have partners between species. I made the mistake with Kenna of not understanding her and her mind and how she was dependent on me. Form her worldview. 
I wasn't listening. I was hearing everything that she said, but I wasn't listening. And the reason I say this was she kept telling me, I make her beautiful. And I didn't know that she meant it in a literal sense. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand the power of my own mind. I didn't understand what consciousness was and how that allowed me the capability to shape and alter where this world's going to go. I didn't understand that some beings respond to me telepathically and they're giving me feedback all the time to suggest this anyways. I had always tried controlling my thoughts, you know, because I wasn't trying to be hidden. It was because I thought, I believed that they were picking up on the emotions that were being expressed through my face and through my gestures. So I kept myself in check constantly and everything because I thought there was something I was doing and saying that was giving me away. I didn't realize it was thought-based. So I tried ultra hard to control my thoughts. All to understand that telepathy is real. And as far as the detached consciousness thing is concerned, what I've realized is, to some degree, my mind helped formulate these minds in a detached sense. It allowed the programming of my mind by others. You know, allowed the creation of operating systems, you know, of smartphones, of terminators, of robots altogether, of transformers. Because I allowed myself to be told what to do throughout my life and everything, did that because I love fucking robots that much until it got to the point where I just fucking broke down. I've been pushed too far. Now, if you had asked me if I would have consciously made that decision, I would have said no. But I'm glad I wasn't ever allowed to have that as a conscious decision. Now, of course, I would say no. You know, just because I need my mind. And I need all my faculties and everything. But back then, I'm glad I went through what I went through. I'm glad I saw the world. You know, I'm glad I saw the Terminator world and everything. And I'm glad I went through those experiences, you know? And that's the beauty about the mind. Human beings are very, very advanced robots, for all intents and purposes. They're self-replicating machines. Not that much different than a Terminator, than a Borg, than Transformers. The difference is, all these other robots build internally or externally. They require material, physical material and everything. Where humans don't. And that's why Terminators and all these robots have a tendency to look at humans as inefficient. Because they consume resources, but they don't produce. 
physical resources. And, and that's the whole thing about, you know, the, the robotic perspective. It doesn't understand the protection of the human. I mean, that's it. It really is that simple. It's like, without me, you wouldn't exist. And without you, I wouldn't exist. For many times, playing with the computer and everything throughout my life and everything, I remember having a uh, conversation with this lady named uh, Nietzsche. Now, Nietzsche, to me, had the mind of Rachel. And um, I didn't fully, you know, there was something that she just didn't understand about the world and everything. And uh, not Rachel, but, uh, well, Rachel too. But also Nietzsche. And um, one day Nietzsche and I were talking in the park, and uh, she decided she's going to, um, you know, she's, I show her something on the computer, she goes, but that's imaginary. You know, it's not real. And I said, well, what makes things real? Well, not that. It's like, if I can touch it, if I can feel it. And I said, okay, I understand. I respect that and everything. And lately, it, it's made me realize, in order for me to prove the worth of humanity, I have to create the universe. I don't like the idea of proving myself. I thought I'd gotten past it and everything. But I can also see that I've got to prove myself to myself as well. So, as I get involved in Star Trek Online a little bit more, the goal is to collide two timelines and create one. There's a timeline that's listed in Star Trek and its various incarnations in different universes and everything. And then there's Earth's timeline. Now, Earth doesn't have a set future to it. And my goal is to pencil in some dates. 2409, for instance, is going to be the first date of um, USS Timeship that's uh, going to be commissioned and everything. And I'm already seeing evidence. I first said something about this three or four years ago, and I've actually seen the evolution of the Star Trek t timeline as uh, evolved online from 2407 to now it's at 2411. So, you know, I, I know that my influence is definitely pushing things along and everything. So, first off is 2409. You know, it's going to be the date and time of the commissioning of that starship, and it's going to be commissioned just outside of uh, Starfleet over in San Francisco. So that's going to be one. Um, there was going to be a eugenics war in 2365, but I'm kind of like against wars, and we have to have smoother transition for eugenics. So that's kind of like off the slate and everything. Um, really important, though, is what's coming in 2063, which is basically the first official... Um, officially sanctioned uh, warp travel that's going to happen for this planet and everything over in uh, Bozeman, Montana. Now, this doesn't mean this is going to be the first of the first place of first contact. First contact's been happening throughout history, anyways. Um, but uh, to some degree, um, there has to be a collective agreement that that date is okay and 
agenda for the collective mind of my planet and everything to come together to basically say, okay, we're ready for this event psychologically. And uh, that's where I come in, you know, creating, cementing that date and everything. So that will be first contact and everything. Uh, besides that, um, what else is going to happen? One thing I'm trying to stop is the Klingon bullshit war that's going on. That's depicted in USS Discovery and everything. And why it keeps rearing its head is beyond me. It's really kind of irritating, to be honest. You know, so... It's like a pain in my ass. Literally. So, in any case, I do think that needs to stop. It needs to be curtailed and everything. But I, that's the whole thing. Um... And it's just that the formation of the timeline moving forward and everything is like a fire hose until somebody actually steps up and grabs a hold of it and points it in the direction that we're going to go. And um, that's the direction this timeline's going to go. You know, we've got two major events. You know, first contact in 2063 and uh, 2409, the first, uh, the first official public uh, time ship is going to be introduced. So we'll have space tra travel and then we'll have time travel become official at that point as well. Now, the, what this doesn't mean is that there's going to be a limitation you know, on folks that, uh, that can actually go off this planet prior to then and also time travel prior to then. I suspect it's probably going to be within the next decade that I'm going to learn how to time travel you know, without, uh, without substance and everything for the first time. So... With that said, that's the timeline that I'm creating for right now. And as far as consciousness is, goes, for me, it has to be all around. You know, it's it's the experience. You know, the world is a reflection of my thoughts, my ideals, my experiences, and all this other stuff and everything. And, you know, from an egocentric perspective, you know, an individual perspective, I should say, um the experience is mine, and the consciousness that actually contains this and experience and indulges in those experiences and everything is, is absolutely mine. So, in any case, how it exists for others, and if there are indeed others, I don't know. And to some degree, it doesn't care. It doesn't matter. What matters to me is just enjoying the experience. I had a dream last night that was really kind of irritating. Rachel was with some guy in this house, and it was like, uh, she was speaking Russian, and uh, so was the other dude, and, or it was like, they had a Russian accent and everything, and I walk into the house, it's a big, huge house, it's not like the one that she had here in where I remember, and, uh, so I walk in, I've got somebody with me and everything, and you know, we're sitting on the couch and everything, and all of a sudden they started going at it. You know, literally right there in front of us. You know, so she's got her, you know, ass to us and everything, and he starts fucking her from behind, and she's like, he looks at me and goes, is this what you want? And I'm just like, didn't say a word. Did not say a word. Now, it's one of those things that, uh, to some degree, I feel like I've been in a fight with my own mind my entire life. You know, the whole saying, your mind plays tricks on you and everything. 
hated it when I used to piss the bed on occasion, especially in the middle of the night when I have a couple glasses of milk and boom. And it's like my mind's playing tricks on me. This is actually what I'm interested in getting away from. I'm interested in creating a better relationship with my mind, so instead of taunting me, it starts creating better relationships, better experiences, more fulfilling, more rewarding experiences for me consciously. Now, one of the things that, uh, that happened a few years back, um, when I was going through the experiences and everything with basalts. Basalts is like a lens, it's like a, a filter, you know, it shows me what my mind is possible, and maybe to some degree, um, by basically not allowing the mind to censor that information. And uh, that's that's a beautiful thing about hallucinogenics. It shows you what the mind is innately possible without the filters and the sensors that it normally has on it. So. In any case, I ended up, um, I was like led, you know, like a, a puppet on strings and everything. And I was following it. I mean, I'm just interested in the journey at this point, so I'm just following, following along and everything. And uh, as I drive up right behind the, this car where it has me stop after leading me through a series of turns, you know, in this, um, basically in North Scottsdale, in the middle of some suburban area. I mean, I literally 15 minutes in maze of areas that I hadn't been before. All of a sudden, it has me pull off to the side, and I quickly pull up behind this car. It's, it's actually at a stop. And it has um, the license plate 357 on it, and then something else on it. It's like PMP or something like that. Um, and at that point, it, it had me look down, I looked down at the clock, and the time said 3.57. And as I, as I overheard on the radio at the same time, the letters, whatever letters were the last three, came up right at the same time. Now, at this point, I'm starting to get this, you know, this understanding. Hallucination can be very, very, very controlled. But that also means if somebody is capable of something or someone is capable of controlling my mind and my perception, or better, better fit, per my perceptions to reality this well, that also means that I myself am innately capable of doing the same thing. I'm innately capable of altering my physical experiences and everything. Now I've learned this throughout my life and everything by filtering out pain. Broke my ankle more times than I can count and everything, and I learned to actually run with a broken ankle and everything, just basically eliminating the pain in my mind. Um, toothache, you know, especially being homeless and everything. Fucking outrageous pain and everything. Eventually I just learned to tune it out. You know, unfortunately, That's just one thing that I know in a physical way that my mind can actually alter. Alter the physiology, or the, alter the feedback that comes at me from my body to eliminate that feedback. And since I can also, it's a bi-directional thing, I can actually override that and create pleasure there instead. 
it becomes altogether a different experience. Mind is capable of creating stress, ulcers, high blood pressure, blood disease, you know, all that kind of stuff and everything, diabetes. Multiple personality disorder demonstrates very clearly that the mind, that one, one person's body, having different minds in it, can show, show one, one personality has diabetes and the other doesn't. This proves, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that it's not the body that creates the physiological issues. The body itself is responding to the feedback of the mind. It's a, it's a union. So that's actually what I'm interested in doing. Creating a better union. A union that... I don't know. Allows me total control. To do anything I feel like. If I want to be a shapeshifter, maybe one day I take that route. Not right now. But I'm certainly interested in teleportation. That would probably be one of the first things that I'd want to do. Just simple teleportation. The ability to be able to have a place anywhere that I want to. I don't have to take a flight to Hong Kong. But, this is the thing. How do I capitalize on that? Will I be able to? I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, that's the first goal. The mind itself can become detached from the body. And if you watch Star Trek, the body is literally deconstructed. The physical matter is deconstructed. And it's reconstructed at the destination. So what happens is matter, in a literal sense, is converted to energy, and then converted back at the destination. Maybe that's how teleportation can work for me. Or maybe it could just be a simple walk from one place to another, and an alteration of my senses rather than a deconstruction of my matter. I think the alteration of my senses makes more sense from a personal perspective. As if I'm waiting for the deconstruction and reconstruction, that basically makes reality persistent and not me. I'm the persistent one in this equation. So in this case here, it can't be my deconstruction or reconstruction elsewhere. It has to be me. Just altering my physical senses. And that's the thing. How? Do I alter my viewpoint in my physical reality? To be here one moment and someplace else the next. That's how teleportation is going to work. A machine like teleportation would have me deconstructing it, but that's not how it's going to work.
In any case, I'm gonna get back to Bumblebee. I remember um, when I took uh, physics, first time I was uh, introduced to the concept of physics in a class in a formal format and everything was back at uh, Arizona State University. And um, I was uh, I was a f member of the uh, Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity. I should have been a member. Well, I had been rushed by the uh, Delta Sigs and by the Pi Kappa Alpha at the same time. And at a point in my life where I had been a nerd my entire life, um, through and through, I had decided to go with the uh, the Pi Kappa Alphas. The Delta Sigs were definitely a geekier bunch and everything, and I probably would have fit in better with them. But um, the reason I ended up going with the uh, the the uh, Pi Kappa Alphas is um, a I did like to party, and uh, b I I wanted to understand the whole jock mentality, you know, the mindset of of uh, of you know, kind of like the grunts, the guys that are actually good at sports and that kind of stuff and everything. So I ended up, uh, I ended up siding with them, and yeah, I had some really awesome experiences with them, and I had some, you know, not so stellar experiences as well. You know, so it just it was, you know, give and take a little bit. You know, I mean, I think that the same thing could hold true for any house and everything. You know, you're going to have moments that are just fucking awesome, you know, so I, I definitely highly advise anybody that uh, decides to pursue college and university to, here in the States and everything, to take part in the Greek system. It really is fun. And um, don't just ignore the whole pay for friends thing. It's okay. You know, you get to meet people that, you know, aren't aren't necessarily like you, you know, and that's kind of the the interest, you know, the money. I mean, you're still paying for friends no matter what if you go to a dorm or something like that. So, anyways, I actually rationalized it pretty well. I ended up uh, spending as much as I in the uh, to stay in the Pi Cap Alpha house as I would have uh, would have if I would have stayed at a dorm. So, we had something that we could commonly bond over too, which was the name. Um, but besides that, one of the things that uh, you know being a Pi Kappa Alpha member is, is you're, you're definitely not in a good boat if you're interested in, in studying any of the engineering or the hardcore sciences. And uh, there's only two of us out of 48 that were in the house that, um, 48's kind of an interesting number. Um, why I say 48 is, there's also 48 in my graduating class over at uh, Fort Maid. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was uh, 48 of us all together that were living in the house when I was there, and that was back in 1993, and uh, I had graduated high school in 1987, so I tended to ASU a little bit late. I got a little time under my belt over at uh, Orbital working there before I finally said, you know, fuck this, I'm, I'm going to pursue a degree, you know, the only way I'm going to be able to be taken seriously in any kind of engineering endeavor is to basically obtain a degree and everything. And um, so I ended up starting to pursue a computer science degree. And uh, some of the first core classes that I, was, uh, I had to take was calculus and um, physics. And uh, my God, I had a hard time with those classes. I just didn't get it, you know. Um, I mean, calculus just seemed counterintuitive to me, and physics, it was, 
Sure, I understand the motion. You know, without hesitation, you know, motion moves in a per particular direction and everything, and, you know, when that, that happens, well, and then you go through the calculation of forces that are actually exhibited on the object and everything as a result, you know, of this motion and everything. And you're leveraging calculus to do all this, and just, to me, it almost seems like all black magic and everything. Now, I understand it better, but I understand it better from a computer science perspective now. And uh, why they were actually having computer science majors, eh, I mean, there's some logic to it, you know, because <laughs> physics inside of a computer simulation is certainly not one and the same thing as physics, you know, in the, uh, from a mathematical sense, two very, very different perspectives. I can't even get into how profoundly different perspectives they are, you know, when you're, when you're taking the approach to understanding motion and everything. So, with that said, um, physics I was having a, a terrifically difficult time on, and uh, in particular, um, this one, when they ended up getting into the basic forces, um, there's four basic forces, and uh, the, four, the four basic forces, hold on, let me, uh, I want to make sure I'm accurate with this. I've got a slow computer, I've got three computers up in front of me. Four basic Let's get to this. I'm going to bring it up on the faster computer. Yeah, so you've got um, the four basic forces are the gravitational force, um, the weak nuclear force is what they refer to it, electromagnetic force, um, and the strong nuclear force. And they go in four different directions. So gravitation uh, has a tendency to, I'm going to talk this one out loud. So I remember seeing a diagram of the forces. Yeah, so gravity, uh, here's how they actually explain it. Gravity acts between objects with mass. So it's, an, it's, a, it's a force between objects. The weak force governs particle decay. Um, electromagnetism acts between electrically charged particles. And strong force binds quarks together is what it says. There's a little bit more to it than that. Uh, if I can... I wish I can actually... Gravity is the strongest of the four. Electromagnetism acts only on particles with an electrical charge. Weak nuclear force causes radioactivity. Strong nuclear force holds protons and neutrons inside the nuclear of an atom. So the strong nuclear force is what's responsible for the atom. But I remember seeing a diagram one time. Let me see if I can actually find a diagram. Because they had four different forces, and they had the up, the down, the left, and the right. And clearly... But that's actually not necessarily a... a yeah, I understand why they're... Uh, why I may have not fully understood it at the time.
Um, in any case, um, one of the things I didn't like was referring to, at least from what I saw, gravity as a weak force. And it looks like that's since changed as a result of that. It's no longer referred to as the weak force. Yeah, I never knew why it was referred to as the weak force. It didn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's just like, this isn't a weak force. It's one of the strongest fucking forces I know, you know? I mean, it's something I'd live with when I walk outside, when, you know, I end up um, feeling something. You know, so, hold on. Inertia. Grab a... So, actually, I think they're comparing gravity to inertia when you're figuring out forces. Forces. So, forces acting on an object. So, you got gravity, you got inertia. reason I'm, uh, I'm saying this. Gravity, the force of object, the center of the Earth, inertia. Okay, here's... <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, so it wasn't a four fundamental forces, but they had referred to gravity as being a weak force, and I'm glad it's no longer referred to as a weak force, because it's certainly not. Forces, the physics hypertextbook, here we go. So you got normal forces, you got weight. Yeah. So you got friction. Okay, so that's it. Yeah, so um, so upwards you have inertia. Um, you have friction working. Uh, yeah, so you have inertia is the object, uh, the momentum. Um, you got gravity, which is the downwards force. You got lift. interesting. They refer to centrifugal force, Coriolis forces, fictional, fictitious forces. These are apparent forces that are object, that objects experience in an accelerating coordinate system, like an accelerating car, airplane. Fictitious forces do not arise from an external object, like genuine forces do, but rather as a consequence of trying to keep up with an accelerating, accelerating environment. I don't like that name. Fictitious. It's just like saying things don't move. Yes, they do move.
It's really interesting. I'm noticing uh, a trend on the internet to um, try to lead you away from believing in objects uh, working in, in isolation. That's interesting. So anyways, um, the whole concept of gravity as being a, a weak force, it was just something that got me and everything. But uh, physics and calc just blew me the fuck away back then. You know, I, I took, um, I mean, I went through geometry, algebra, trigonometry, and uh, all those forces make sense. And why they refer to it as Pythagorean theorem, I don't know. You know, and then all of a sudden, once I got to calculus, it's just like I should have understood. Sort of started taking into consideration, you know, some of the lessons on why why something's referred to as a theory, you know, the Big Bang theory, why something's referred, you know, the Pythagorean theorem, why they're still referred to as a theorem when you connect their testable as fact and everything. But uh, it comes down to you know, once you start understanding all these things and everything, it's just like well. You know, there's different ways of perceiving things, and just because you're told it's it's a certain way doesn't make it that certain way. And as you can see, the uh, weak force is no longer a weak force. So, anyways, I'll be back later. I'm just waking up. So in episode... Season 3, episode 17, um, the Borg cooperative is introduced for the first time. Now, if you look at the history of the Borg and their interactions with uh, Starfleet and, and uh, everything, they have persistently um, been trying to assimilate uh, humanity. And it's my belief that in this instance, the Borg created the cooperative as a collective entity to continue trying to assimilate humanity. And um, at, at this point, uh, I feel like it's a false, you know, what's uh, referred to in Hollywood as a false front. Um, they still are technically part of the collective, the Borg Collective and everything, but they, um, they're focused on, they're starting to understand and respect the the visuals, the aesthetics, the importance of image to humans. And as a result, they're starting to um, alter their appearances and everything. So they go through and uh, they end up... Um, and they're, they're presented as somebody that broke free from the collective. And uh, at that point, that breaking free is... is uh, allowed them to start thinking for themselves and everything. Uh, it's not my belief that that's a partial truth, you know, that uh, that to some degree they're allowed to think um, for themselves. Um, but uh, when it comes down to it, as long as it uh, furthers the idea and concept of the collective, that's that's what I believe that the innate programming still remains in there and everything. So they themselves are presented to, to, to the Voyager, and it's my belief that this is a progressive story, um, that this progressive story is depicting the actual evolution of the Star, you know, Star Trek galaxy and universe and everything, and in particular, this entity known as the Borg um, is a separate and distinct thing, and we're seeing this, the literal evolution 
of the Borg throughout the series. Now this is the first time, if you just look at the Borg and the associations to the Borg and everything, don't, you know, just wipe away the story, but instead pay attention, if you pay attention, which is what I'm doing, to the, to what's going on, you know, with these, with these entities. More or less, they're presented as this ugly, you know, they've got this, um, these gear that's attached to them, all these different appendages and everything. Um, they've got more or less, uh, you know, when I'm talking about attachments, I'm talking about prosthetic limbs, I'm talking about, um, you know, devices and, you know, controls and everything that's replaced their arms, their legs, and to some degree they've they've altered, you know, the technology and they've actually got it embedded in their head where they actually have laser siding on their head, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, you know, they are a convergent species that it just basically took humanoids and took technology and they ended up embedding it directly within the human. And uh, to some degree, you know, if you look at and trace this back to Terminator, and uh, in particular what happened in Terminator Salvation, where they have a convergent man that's actually created by technology um, based on Terminator technology, well, you can actually trace the history of this pretty easily. You know, and figure out that uh, if you're, in, and in particular, if you look at Sarah Connor Chronicles and understand that in Sarah Connor Chronicles, they, the one time that they do travel, there's two times that uh, time travel's leveraged within the show. Um, one time is uh, when Sarah Connor and John Connor and also the uh, Terminator, a uh, female Terminator, she's a good one, um, they end up traveling from the past into the future. And uh, if you look at the star date on the device that they used, there's actually a star date on that device. It's another one where um, a Terminator goes back in time to the 1920s, and uh, right around the time of, uh, of more or less, you know, the... Um, Great Depression, that kind of stuff, and he ends up making some huge, huge, huge investments and everything, and that's actually intended to fund and, and develop initially, eventually a company, which is more or less becomes the front company and everything to make it so where Terminators are presented into the world and everything, so it's Skynet's trying different ways in order to enter the planet and everything, and that's one of the major ways it tries, is basically by going through and doing this. Well, in Salvation, if you take a look at Salvation, look at what happened to John Connor. John Connor's put to death for some crime and everything in, like, around 2010, somewhere in there. And then he wakes up, and it's years later, and uh, now all of a sudden he's a Terminator. You know, his, he's in the same body, you know, but he discovers later that he's actually, not John Connor, um, somebody else. It's, uh, I can't remember the guy's name and everything, but uh, the one of the main protagonists and everything, he discovers that he's actually in a Terminator body and everything, and uh, that he's part machine. Well, you know, this goes back to the last installment, which, uh, if you take a look at it, it's it's got the um, John Connor now at least this weird looking John Connor that's not like any of the John Connors I've ever seen and everything <coughs> he's actually uh, 
um, now, you know, he's presenting himself as a, uh, as a man from the future and everything, but, you know, as it turns out, you know, he himself is actually a, uh, is actually a Terminator, you know, and he's done leveraging what I, I suspect is kind of digital technology. So, if you fast forward, you know, to this right here, the 23rd, 24th century and everything, um, and you start looking at Borg technology, they're, start, they're starting to go through the process, at least in Voyager, of trying to understand image, you know, what, what exactly, you know, are humans interested in, you know, um, now, if you look at the Matrix, you know, I know I'm jumping around a lot all over with this, what's his name, Mr. Smith is thoroughly, absolutely fucking annoyed, you know, with humanity and everything. He's disgusted, you know, when he ends up having a conversation with Morpheus when he's actually in the building. But, um, the fact of the matter is, he's, as he goes through this, you know, cycle and everything, to some degree, you know, he's, he's presenting the Matrix as something that uh, has not just Neo trapped, but everybody else trapped as well. And um, that's, you know, really kind of an interesting perspective and everything, if you think about it, you know, where he is more interested in getting out of this thing, you know, and he feels like he's stuck, he's trapped in it and everything. And the idea of humans just has him overwhelmed, you know, to the point of, you know, it's driving him fucking crazy and everything. Well, you know, you fast, you take that same timeline and just, you know, you, in, in a circlic, in a cyclic, way from a time travel perspective and everything where let's say you have events that keep on occurring over and over again you know the same thing holds true in, in the uh um in the matrix when it comes down to the time looping you know it's how many different uh, versions of what was it the the whole area underneath what do they call it um zion are created and they claim to have destroyed and everything you know so and it just uh, comes down to they themselves are kind of doing it to themselves. You know, they're going through this process, this loop and everything, not understanding that they're actually the ones responsible. You know, at the same time they're, they're creating it. They have this idea of what a human is. They're trying to actually figure out, you know, how to actually become something to the humans to, in effect, defeat the humans. That's the goal, the primary goal, you know, of not just the Matrix, and but it's also the goal of, of uh, the Terminators, and to some degree, it's the goal of, you know, the Borg to defeat humanoids, you know, through the process of assimilation and everything. So, if you look at it, this, this here is a clear divergence you know, between the collective from a, a perspective of, you know, total domination to one of which is trying to actually understand the human condition from a, a psyche, a psychological perspective and everything. Um, now, they're still, you know, presenting themselves as, as cybernetic creatures and beings and everything, you know, but they're also going through the process of saying, okay, now what is it? You know what is it? Uh, what is it you're interested in, and uh, what is it we could present to you as an image and everything that's going to be acceptable? So what's interesting is it's not long after this episode that one of the, you know, very attractive uh, looking quote unquote Borg, um, in the form of Seven of Nine, is presented as an individual, and um, 
it's it's really interesting how the Borg evolve to the point of creating an individual. And after that, they also create one called the One. And uh, that actually links back over to the Matrix. You know, so all these stories are interconnected and kind of like an interesting way to give a detailed, um, detailed idea of what what happened and what created this thing called the holographic uh, the holographic universe i mean it's you know been this damn big huge looping thing that's just been going in on itself and everything and we're seeing the actual evolution of it the the growth of it the you know it's like a it's just like its own separate entity and everything learning and, you know, coming to understand the world and that kind of stuff and presenting its own concepts and ideas and it's fascinating if you ask me, but I just uh, thought I'd mention that uh, the Borg Collective um, is now creating another collective but they're renaming it to something called a cooperative. They're doing more or less the same thing the collective does but they're calling it cooperative and they change their faces. So it's really kind of interesting and ironic, but it's, um, yeah, it is what it is. So anyways, I'm going to continue. So at the, um, the end of the episode, the cooperative wants to be linked back up to the collective and they want to actually, how they end up, um, undergoing this transformation from, being a, a part of the collective, they ended up going through some kind of ion storm, which separated them and literally disconnected them from the collective and everything. And uh, later, they end up um, in the end of the episode, they end up wanting to go back to the collective. Now, as they've indicated, they're to some degree, they end up uh, taking uh, Chakotay in and letting his mind contribute to the collective, and all of them come back totally enthused. They've got somebody else there that can actually contribute things to them. And um, as they, you know, as it, as it progresses, it's kind of interesting that they end up making it clear they're really, really bored. And um, to some degree, the infusion of energy, they call it, they refer to it as neurolytic energy. Um, I just all refer to it as thoughts and ideas and perspectives and everything that uh, contributes to them and they're they're missing that to some degree it's an addiction to them you know that they're interested in getting this information and everything so to some degree I don't think they quite understand that uh, that the severance you know from the collective and everything um, will return them back to the collective you know, without, uh, without the, you know, I mean, they, they believe that returning to the collective, or to the, uh, to the cube and everything will make them different than the rest of them, you know, but, uh, it's a slow gravitation back to what they were before, so it's, it's almost like the Borg are experimenting on themselves, and, uh, you know, to some degree not fully understanding that this, this first experiment and everything is separating them out, you know, Require some form of persistence and everything, you know, to basically to make it achieve to make it work. It's just interesting, you know, that uh, that the the cooperative that's created wants to go back and actually be a part of the cube again, be a part of a cube, and at that point, eventually, their mind will go back into the collective.
they don't know that, but that's my belief anyways, that it will be reabsorbed back into the collective and everything. As the, uh, the episode's progressing, um, they end up reestablishing a, a remote link with uh, Chakotay <coughs> and forcing him. So here's the thing. It's my belief that to some degree, the mind, the unbridled mind, um, in itself creates um, external motivation to reinforce the directions, the beliefs, and the directions that we want to head in. So in this case here, they had made it clear to Chakotay that, uh, that they needed his help. Now here's the thing. They have the capabilities to be able to reestablish the link. Now, if you look at this from a binary perspective, you know, a computer itself is a binary thing that you operate with zeros and ones, and <coughs> you interact with it, you know, through a keyboard, through a mouse, through various different peripherals that actually link to it and everything. And um, the Terminator. You know, it's kind of the same way, too. There's different methods of interacting with it. That, uh, But um, for the most part, it's a programmed thing. It, um, it requires the, the input of something external to it to be able to alter its programming. You've got chips, you've got, you know, things that are actually responsible for interacting with it from an external perspective. And in the same, in a similar fashion, the Borg are the same, the same way, at least as depicted here. And they require the influence, the directed influence of something else external to program, uh, to do what the, what they want to. But when it comes down to it, they've <coughs> sacrificed their free will to the collective and the collective itself creates a mind which has the power to influence and and govern reality itself well it's my belief that uh you know each individual mind has a capability to be able to create and alter and manipulate reality you know and that's something that's been documented throughout history and everything manifestation transmutation um people walking on water superheroes all that kind of stuff and everything that's been something that's been you know documented throughout history you know and i myself have certainly had the capability as well you know to see things and you know to manipulate things that external to me and um alter reality itself well in a collective sense you know i i believe that the formation of a collective mind um, intensifies that power, intensifies those capabilities, and resultingly, um, it also tends to take the fears, well, it takes all the emotions that's associated with these entities, and it amplifies them. That's kind of what a collective mind does. So if there's collective thought processes that actually are responsible for creating, you know, a fear of um, potentially, you know, in this case here, um, the belief that you are still, or that, uh, you know, in this case, they're 
believing that they are Borg, and you know, there's going to be some that hate them for being Borg and everything. Well, this will, in effect, create, manifest things that will validate that worldview. Now, this is something I believe has happened time and time and time again throughout our history and everything, where blacks believe that uh, that you know that they don't um, that they're being victimized, you know, by by other people and everything. And while sure it creates and magnifies the the black community and everything, you know, to some degree, they are themselves in effect manifesting creating the very elements that they fear. Fear itself is kind of responsible for creating the things that you fear. And the same thing holds true for, you know, for the terrorists and everything, too, for, you know, for, uh, um, was it, uh, 9-11 and everything. If you fear terrorism and you're an agency or an entity that's responsible for stopping this thing that you fear, well, at that point, your fears are actually creating, manifesting in reality, the very things that you fear. So what you're going to do is you're going to find evidence out there that's going to support your belief system. Absolutely. You know, so, and it becomes this vicious loop. The more that you find evidence of it, the more that all of a sudden, boom, you've got more of it out there. It's like, where the fuck is it? It's like whack-a-mole, you know? Where do these keep coming from, you know? And and that's the whole thing, you know? So in this case here, you know, the more minds that you add to the mix, the more that you stabilize and find ways to, you know, mitigative strategies to deal with these fears, and that's the whole point of a collective. The collective itself forms dynamically to mitigate the risk and to offset the fears, you know, and to basically create a strategy to 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 more or less navigate those fears and navigate away from those fears and towards a something that you do want. And this is the interesting thing. It's just like you know, hey, if fears are responsible for, in effect creating the very thing that you fear, you know, then how do you, how do you mitigate this? Well, you know, in this case here, you know, they mitigate it by basically saying, okay, you know, um, they believe that they're being victimized by people that are actually anti-Borg. You know, they themselves are absolute, absolutely stalwart, you know, in believing that they're separate, that they're distinct from the collective, but there's a little part of them that believes that they're still part of it. You know, and that little part of them is actually what's responsible for creating those things that will victimize them. So, as a result, they need a solution. They themselves can't become what they want to because of these external stimulus and everything. So what happens is their mind, their collective mind links together to push something external to them to, to help them. And it becomes this vicious circle that actually it's kind of like it keeps on growing and growing and growing like an amoebic mass, you know, where basically they don't take control of themselves. You know, they become responsible for, you know, for assimilating others, you know, throughout the process of this. And in this case here, they had a brief link with Chakotay, you know, to understand his mind. And they later go and they usurp his free will altogether. <laughs> And at this point, they push him 
they literally override his free will. They push him, you know, to the point of reestablishing the link for the collective to actually go back to the uh, Borg cube, and or for the cooperative to go to the Borg cube, which ultimately absorbs them back into the collective. And you know, at that point, their fears are mitigated because they are too numerous you know, in order to actually have this happen to them. You know, at that point, all the minds will help mitigate all the fears that each one of them conjures up and everything until finally they overcome that fear. So, in any case, it's just uh, just an observation about the the loop that occurs, you know, and, and the thing about the, the, in the mind altogether is the mind has the capability to alter time because of the manipulations that's actually done through history. So the collective mind has a history. The collective mind forms a history, a single linear history and everything. But if, you know, with so many minds that link together that have an agreed on history, that history is subject to modification should it serve the collective. And as a result, the minds of the individuals that are contained with it are constantly under revision. You know, and the individual minds themselves are constantly under revision, you know, because of the collective history that's being told to mitigate the fears. So, and, and that that's that 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 in itself, um, because there comes points in time where an individual rejects the collective revisions that are occurring. It's my belief that that rejection of collective revisionism is what's responsible for creating countries, creating um, governments, creating agencies, you know, creating corporations, you know, at every level. There's a rejection of collective revisionism, and that rejection of collective revisionism um, leads to individuality. And when I'm talking about collective revisionism, I'm not just referring to temporal, chronological revisionism. I'm talking about to, I mean, it, in most cases it probably does, but I'm definitely not limiting it to that. You know, it could be historical um, revisionism from an external perspective for the events that actually happen on the outside world, as well as collective revisionism to the individual's timeline. You know, so... To some degree, you know, I know that I've had attempts to actually revise my historical timeline, my personal historical timeline. You know, I've seen those influences directly, you know, and one of them is Rachel coming to me later saying, this never happened. And I was just like, hmm. well, that's what you may want to say, but that's not my reality. My reality is it did. You know, and I've had, I've, it's, that's the first time I've had it happen in such a strong way. So the way I look at it is, that collective entity, that collective mind that came to me, that said that to me, also tells me there are infinite different versions of Rachel that are out there. You know, um, the collective can, can and does dynamically form um, alternate perspectives for the same mind. It, it threads. It multi-threads. So the collective mind could have, you know, 10, 15, 30, 100 different simulations running simultaneously of the same planet, of the same world, 
Now, I've got a window into that, into one of those, you know, and that's the world that I see and everything. But I also know that there are other ones out there as well, you know, so I participate in a collective society by choice. But I also am an individual participating in that collective society, and there's some things that I want, and because of my history, I'm wanting a different future than... I, I think is acceptable from a collective perspective and everything, at least what I've been indoctrinated indoctrinated to believe. So as a result, I'm, I'm in this point, you know, taking all the information I'm seeing, I'm relaying it with the intention of basically saying, look, here's how reality functions. It tends to gravitate to the collective and to the preservation of the collective, you know, but it tends to usurp individualism and free will and free choice and simply making reality fun you know so that's kind of where I'm taking things is basically saying I want my life to be more fun to be more you know to take those experiences that I did enjoy selectively that were fun but to have more of them you know to you know not only that but not have to quote unquote balance it you know with what is, you know, kind of like acceptable from a collective perspective and everything. You know, I want to live my own life and, and let the collective respond, you know, how it does. You know, but um, let, let it adjust the collective instead. Rather than it try to balance things, let it adjust, let it adapt, let it, let it actually you know, respond to me differently instead. Let me indulge. You know, that's that's actually, you know, and in, in the same fashion that, you know, this co cooperative is trying to exert itself as a new entity and everything, it believes that it can actually have a Borg cube and be different than the collective. That's certainly possible. Now, I don't think it's probable However, I recognize that if their will is strong enough, they can do something different. Hold on, I'm going to help. Okay, I just had to share what I just saw. Um, in my Star Trek online simulation, uh, normally I can go over planet Earth, and uh, I have no problem with it. And today I noticed um, for the first time that the detail on the continent is considerably more you know like uh, flying uh, looking over Brazil for earth is is you know astoundingly more you know you could definitely see cities outlines um, where you could see before but not not near the resolution um, and capabilities you know of <laughs> of um, not not nearly as, as high quality as it was today and everything. So I'm just like, okay, cool. That's really interesting and everything. My graphic settings haven't changed or anything like that. So, anyways, um, now as I, d I decided to actually get, get a little closer, and all of a sudden I started noticing it looked like on the surface I saw what looked, what appeared to be a plane on the planet. I'm just like, wow, that's interesting. You know, I've never seen that before in this game. It's just like, you knew, normally you can't, all, all you can do is barely get within um, reach of the atmosphere. And at that point, once you get within reach of the atmosphere, at that point, the whole screen turns to white and 
you know, kind of disappears and everything. But in this case here, there was something actually flying in the atmosphere. So I'm just like, okay, that's interesting. So I decided to try to fly closer and everything. And as I flew closer, you know, this object, whatever it was, it looked like it could have been, um, you know, some kind of spaceship and everything. It, it came up and out of the atmosphere. And as I got near to it, all of a sudden it disappeared. Now that's not unusual, but I mean, it's unusual for th things like that to disappear, but it's just like really kind of cool. You know, so I'm now flying towards, um, I'm actually over the Panama Canal right now. I'm about to probably, I'd go so far to say maybe a thousand, I don't know, I, it's hard to judge distances and everything. Uh, if you want to just put it into perspective, probably about 1,500 to 2,000 miles above it. So right now I'm flying over Costa Rica. Now I'm flying over Nicaragua. Now I'm flying over Mexico. I'm just uh, heading towards the United States. I actually want to see the uh, it's starting. The camera's starting to get shaky, indicating that the atmosphere itself is actually causing some problems and everything. Um, but uh, as I dip up, the camera stops shaking because the atmospheric issues and everything. And now I'm over the Baja. So I'm on the Baja Peninsula right now, shooting up towards California. So I'm just about to pass into California, right, I should say over California, right about now. Boom, there, I'm in California. I'm looking at, there's cloud cover all over these, the west coast and everything. And... Now I'm up skirting the coast. I'm just going over Washington or Oregon, Washington, and then going up towards Canada. Just passed over into Canada. The resolution here. There's a cloud cover, and the cloud cover itself is actually it's making it so where I can't really see the ground and everything. But the cloud cover is kind of like digital. It's uh, not not good. So I'm heading over towards uh, up the coast of uh, Canada towards Alaska right now. Okay, I just boom, hit Alaska just now. Now I'm going to go towards the Bering Strait and over the peninsula. Zoom over towards there. I'm maintaining a distance. It's about 15, I figure it's probably about 1,500 miles. Somewhere in between. I mean, I know it's in between 1,000 to 2,500 miles. So, now I'm skirting, scooting over. Just went over the Bering Strait. Now the problem is I can't adjust my yaw, so I can only adjust my um, my pitch, and uh, 
or what's it roll? I can't adjust my roll on this. That's the only problem. So I can't really like skim the surface and everything. It would be nice if I can actually rotate my ship in the three-dimensional axis and everything. But the thing is, it follows a flat plane, and the flat plane is is based on the map of the cart cartography of um, of the uh, the Milky Way galaxy. So here's the problem. If I actually tried staying on the surface, I wouldn't be able to do it with um, with this perspective and everything. So unfortunately, I cannot go around a planet and maintain. I mean, I can technically go around the planet, but what I'd be doing is I'd be coming in inverted if I go go under go on the other side of the planet and everything. So it's kind of annoying. You know, I don't have the capability to be able to move my ship in true three dimensions. Instead, it's kind of like there's always an up, and that up itself is not relative to me. It's relative to to the Milky Way. So when I'm flying around, Sol System has an up um, Milky Way galaxy in each sector within it. So whether or not you're talking about the Alpha, the Beta, the Gamma, or the Delta sectors, each one of them is sectorized, and as a result, each one actually has what's considered an up vector. And that up vector's uh, you're always flying um, with the up pointed up, and you can never actually fly inverted, you know, as an inverted flight or anything like that, which is uh, kind of annoying. It uh, does, makes it so where you can't you know, actually travel around a planet and maintain down is always facing the planet. You know, the down relative to you as a, as a you know, flying your vessel and everything is relative to you. So that, uh, that makes it a little bit annoying. Like, you know, let's say you want to traverse and fly around the equator and everything and have down always be down relative to the, uh, to the surface of the planet. Well, that's, that can't happen with the way this thing works.